I'm AJ Bianco, host of Reflect Ed, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, do you like awesome rings? Do you need a ring to replace one that you lost ages ago? Or do you need a new wedding band because yours is no longer fixable? Well, (laughs) I have this cool sponsor, Boone Titanium Rings. They can be found at boonrings.com. They make their rings from titanium, and you can get the rings carved, engraved, inlaid, laser cut. There's even special collections like the Hunter Series or the Gamer Rings or the Black Zirconium. Very cool. They have models that have meteorite, wood, or other inlays. Check out boonrings.com. And at checkout, use the code for my podcast. It's capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, and the number 12. T-L-L-K-12. And you will get 10% off the total. And you will help this podcast out. Thanks so much. I love my ring. And I know you will love yours. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Dr. Marnie Ginsberg, the founder of Reading Simplified. And we're talking about working to support teachers learn how to accelerate students' reading achievement. Oh, so much to learn. Thanks for listening. And by the way, it'd be so cool if you would go to my website, stephenmiletto.com slash reviews and uh, left a review. Could you do that for me? That would be so awesome. Thanks so much. Enjoy the show. It's the education podcast, your favorite show, with lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up the tin and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Steve Miletto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. With Dr. Marnie Gidsberg is the founder of Reading Simplified, whose mission is to support busy, overwhelmed teachers learn a research-based system of effective and efficient instruction that accelerates all students' reading achievement. Marnie's surprise at finding so many of the middle school students in her classroom reading well below their grade spurred a passion for finding and disseminating solutions. What followed included private tutoring, university research, the creation of an evidence-based reading program, and ultimately the development of Reading Simplified. Marnie, thanks for joining me today and say hi to everyone. Oh, it's my privilege. Thank you, Steve. Well, glad to have you. And uh, this is really cool and very timely that this is what you're working on and which is it was awesome. So uh, before we talk about your work, uh, could you share what you liked about, uh, you know, working and teaching with kids when you did that? Mm. Well, their innocence and enthusiasm for learning or new things, you know, it's it's just a delight to be around young kids. And so that was definitely something that drew me to the field. And then when I got into reading tutoring, I realized I was quite addicted to seeing them progress every time I worked with them. So that was another um, thing that was a thrill for me to see a kid make noticeable strides after an hour working with me. It's very, very gratifying. That's awesome. Yes, that's it. it, 
there is nothing better. That's, you know, mm-hmm. it's, and it's usually why they also remember you down the road some point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if they don't, if they don't say it now, it usually comes out somewhere down the road, which is really cool. So mm-hmm. good stuff. So here's something I read about your background. In the late 1990s, Marnie uncovered that her sixth grade language arts students on average were reading two years below grade level. And despite her master's degree in enthusiasm, she had no idea how to remediate their word reading difficulties. Uh, let's talk about what you were seeing that uh, made you realize that your students were behind in their reading capabilities? Well, uh, oddly enough, um, it was actually hard to even get the information about where they were. So I was like a doctor without any diagnostic information. I did have one thing. I had the state test that give us the information. Are they a one, two, three, or four? So if they're three or four, they're at grade level or above. Most of my students were at twos. Okay, they're not doing well, but what does that mean? Where do I instruct them? What do I instruct them? So I searched around for, um, you know, what I should even test them in, did an informal reading inventory on each child. It was over 80 kids. Took me a while, of course, and uh, listened to them read a short passage. And they basically came out at the fourth grade reading level on average. Of course, some were reading at the second grade. Some couple weren't even at the first grade level. And so as I listened to them read, I could see that uh, particularly multisyllable words were would stump them. And they would skip over words. They would um, insert words. And I knew that my issue was not as much about comprehension or vocabulary building for them. It was uh, they can't access the code. They can't lift the words off the page and do the reasoning that I was prepared to to help them improve on. I thought as a middle school and high school trained teacher that I would be focusing on um, comprehension building and expanding their vocabulary and world knowledge. And we we weren't even there yet, you know. <laughs> so then I was like... Um, I don't know how to teach 80 kids how to read words. I mean, I wasn't even sure how to teach one because that wasn't something that I had really been given any tools for, even though I did take a reading course and I have the book and I looked back at it and I'm like, there's there, they gave me some labels like this is a grapheme or this is um, a digraph or whatever, but they didn't show me this way to get from step A to step Z. So I was pretty, I was really frustrated when I realized that these kids were lacking so much and I didn't know what to do about it. I understand. And I feel it. It's It's not, sadly, not a unique story. No, it's not. I mean, I'm a former history teacher, high school history teacher. And you start realizing as you're having them read passages and such and you go, hmm. Yeah. So we need to do some individual stuff here because I got to figure out because you're definitely not where you should be. And, uh, and then once you figure some things out, then you also have to go now, what do I do? (laughs) Yeah. So, right. Um, so yeah, I totally uh, understand what you're talking about. So, you know, you've noted that no matter how much you wanted to help, you didn't have the knowledge or capabilities to address the needs of the kids. Mm -hmm. I mean, could you talk about this realization? I mean, what'd you learn? It was really flummoxing. If that's a word, I, I, I thought, I, you know, shouldn't I have been prepared? I, like I said, I had the master's in teaching. And um, when I went to the library to look for solutions, I found two different camps that had completely contradictory um, information about how kids actually learn to read words. So there are different theories about how kids learn to read words. They don't really line up. 
And they send you in different directions in terms of pedagogical um, actions. So that was also very confusing. And I realized probably why we had gotten ourselves to this position. Like we've been sending mixed messages to teachers, which sends mixed messages to kids. They're left without effective strategies. And so um, it took me a long time. Um, I was in the, the, the school in which I, I served where I realized the kids were two years behind. I was there two years and um, the first year I was just searching and I tried a couple things and they really didn't work. And so the second year I stumbled upon something that was different from these two camps. It kind of was bringing some elements of the research together and it seemed to make sense to me when I read it. I tried it out with two kids that were literally not even able to read at the first grade level and they made rapid growth and that has changed my career because I really wanted to be a middle school and high school English teacher but um, I realized hey I'm not alone in this confusion and frustration of not knowing how to teach reading but this actually worked with two kids who had been in school for seven years and couldn't read hop on pop so that's became my obsession in the late nineties and I've been tinkering with that ever since. So that was a, a massive aha for me um, that, like I said, changed my career. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that because you know, the next thing that I got to ask you is because your career takes a different path. Now you, you, uh, um, you know, you're kind of pursuing this, uh, this, uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, or something. You know, you, oh boy, I really screwed up that title of that movie. Um, but you're, you're, um, it's set you on a quest here, and uh, um, the, uh, you know, you end up uh, seeing a need to address these reading challenges, and so you know, to s- steal some of your own wording, uh, you led the development of targeted reading interventions at uh, the University of North Carolina. Can you talk about this program and what you discovered? Yeah, that happened after I left public school teaching and taught um, privately as a tutor for several years. And uh, my business grew so much that I even added other people to uh, that I trained and they carried some of the load because there was so much demand, even in a, um, a fairly wealthy university town, because the way that the teachers had been told to teach was out of alignment with what we know from science. And so um, that was very exciting to get kids rapidly to grade level. We would on average get kids reading at grade level and multiple reading measures in about 12 hours. Um, And I was naive enough to think, oh, well, if I go to the university and research this, uh, getting my doctorate, we'll get more information. And um, then I get there and realize, oh, actually, we do know a lot about how the brain learns to read. And it's just not it's being contradicted by what teachers are, have been told and what their professional development materials provide. So it was really cool when I was a doctoral student and a professor of language and um, childhood language got a large federal grant to create a reading intervention, but she was not really a reading person. She was expecting the faculty to help, but they could not agree with what they would do, you know, which relates to my opening ideas about the just different perspectives on how to teach reading. And so she turned to some grad students and I 
uh, was the one that was super excited about that and stuck with it and led the development of that intervention, which we called the targeted reading intervention started in 2005. And so it took the insights from, uh, you know, the successes as a tutor, but also all of the other research that had been having the privilege of reading when you're, when you're a doc student and bundled them into the TRI, which was um, and is a an intervention for kindergarten and first grade um, students actually served through their classroom teacher. And we were working in low income rural places that had really, you know, perpetual um, poverty and struggles with student achievement. And so these kids um, who were struggling, even in those environments, the teacher pulled aside to work with one-on-one -on -one for 15 minutes, which is an unusual kind of push in intervention strategy. So they would work with one child for about seven, nine weeks. And every uh, two weeks or so, we would actually watch them on a webcam. And this is way back before Zoom existed. It was kind of cutting edge technology. And we would give them some tips as we saw them work with their student, which I think is a really strong professional development model, by the way. Um, and it did get good results. And um, so after they worked with one child, they got them kind of up to the level of the class. They'd be better functioning in their small group environments. Then they'd pick up another student. So it was a great way for them to see the progress of each child, know each child's really uh, their instructional and emotional needs and learn a different approach for how to teach reading along the way. We even saw it spill over into benefits for the kids that did not get the one-on-one. -on -one. So we think that something was happening about the way the teacher was thinking about reading and what activities she chose. So that um, targeted reading intervention has been uh, going on ever since. It, they keep getting federal funds to replicate it. And it's on the What Works Clearinghouse because we would get effects of like 0.3, um, effect size of 0.3 to 0.7 multiple reading measures. Um, in, in, a, in a landscape where there is a lot of uh, research on interventions, but there's not that many on um, classroom teachers engaging in it. Usually it's a master's student that pulls kid out that works for the, the researcher. And so that was a little bit, a little uh, un, slightly unusual that we were getting effects in that environment. And it was very eye-opening, of course, to be able to watch teachers from all over the country, from New Mexico to North Carolina to Texas and Nebraska. And so I learned what, what was maybe challenging with that model. And um, when my husband had a job change and we moved, it's, uh, and also because really, even though we were great at getting these great effects, nothing was really changing. Nobody was knocking on their door saying, oh, I see you're getting these strong effect sizes on the targeted re-intervention. Can we use that in our school? That, that didn't happen. And so I was really concerned about dissemination. So that's what provoked me to start reading simplified, which basically takes the the same lesson plan, the same activities that I put into the targeted reading intervention and expands its use, streamlines some things because of the things that I learned when I watched teachers implement it and then um, provide a uh, again, a more um, efficient delivery for for teachers all over the world. And so that's what reading simplified um, is and how it got its genesis. Very cool. So, you know, one of the things I got to, I got to ask you is, that, you know, something it, it seems like you're trying to address is that you stumbled into uh, kind of the things that uh, 
maybe interfere with uh, the the things that work, interfere with them being impl- um, implemented in a classroom? Right. I mean, what type, I mean, can you talk a little bit more towards that? I mean, because that's one of the things that, uh, you know, whether it's mixed messages or whatever, what, what's one of those things that you've kind of, that you're, you're trying to um, jettison by creating some right. being simplified? Right. Well, fortunately, the, um, the idea that I've been tr- fighting for over 20 years that is causing so many students to struggle with reading is getting a lot of attention as of late. I encourage your listeners to check out a six episode podcast called Sold a Story by American Public Media, led by the journalist uh, Emily Hanford. And she dives into this singular idea that has often been called three queuing. And that is a model of how kids learn to read the words. And it has always minimized looking at the print. It leads kids who are just getting started to look at the pictures, maybe look at the first letter in the word and make a prediction about what the word is. And this is... um, completely upside down from what we know about how kids actually learn to read the words if they become good readers. We know that good readers pay attention to every letter in the word. They read left to right, cracking the code um, in the early days so that those words can become automatically recognized. And what we've been doing for um, decades in the U.S. and most English-speaking countries is actually directing the kids away from print, away from accessing every single letter in the word. And so their decoding skills, sound-based decoding skills are very poor. They think that reading is a guessing game. They think they have to reason what the next word is because they lack the code knowledge and the decoding skills to crack an unusual word. So middle school and high school teachers everywhere see this. The kid looks at the word intelligent and they say, Um, irrelevant or any kind of scrambling of the information that's on the page because they haven't been taught the code. And so this three queuing idea is, um, you know, if you haven't heard of it, it might sound kind of silly if you learn to read a more conventional way, but um, it is in all of the teacher materials. Um, It is dominating the marketplace the universities even teach it even though it has been debunked from scientists and psychology cognitive psychology neuroscience medicine speech language hearing special education all of these fields have clearly demonstrated that this notion is like i said it's turned on its head because we do use context if i if i if you come to the word w-i-n-d you It could be wind or it could be wind. And so you do use context to support you. Um, The the wind blew the kite. Context is the supporting secondary feature. It is not the primary feature that helps you read that word. You immediately knew it's either wind or wind. It wasn't going to be went because you access the code first. And so there's with all educational... (laughs) um, myths there is an element of truth to it yeah we do need to use context and we don't want to ignore that meaning making but 
that the doorway to accessing the code is really understanding how the code works and knowing how letters and sounds match up, having an attack strategy of putting the sounds together left to right and flexing the sounds. If it doesn't make, you know, if it's not wind, it, 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 I'm going to flex those vowel sounds and it's going to be wind. Ah, that's a word I know. And I'm off to the races. So this three cueing um, is not the only challenge that we have with literacy in this country, but it has been a um, massive burden on, on our teachers and our students because teachers are trying to do something. It doesn't work. Over 65% of English for, of uh, U.S. fourth graders are not reading proficiently. It can't all be placed on the lap of this failed three queuing idea, but a lot of it can. And as a tutor, I regularly saw um, in multiple places that I've lived how I had to overcome this student's natural bent that they had developed from school to not actually pay attention carefully to the letters and they would make guesses. And this is a default strategy that the three queuing system inculcates and so as tutors all over the world can attest we're trying to undo that so they really get how the code works and they can become readers gotcha I, so you know i'm going to kind of shift into we're talking about uh, some of the research and some of the different stuff that's out there and one of the things that i i read is that uh, um you know there's something called the science of reading movement can you talk about that or to that a little bit yeah, like uh, like I said about the recent change about the three queuing maybe getting some attention and people realizing that it's a problem. Um, uh, parallel to this, there has become an in, a growing interest in what actually science says about how to teach reading. And it hasn't been um, uh, an interest of most teachers of reading for, for many decades. They've gone to experts who talk about ideas and theories, but they don't point to cold, hard evidence from, from science. And so again, got to give a lot of the credit to this APM journalist, Emily Hanford, who's been digging at this issue for a while with different various uh, documentaries and also um, parents who have students with their own, their own children with dyslexia have bubbled up all over the country in these groups called decoding dyslexia. And they've been drawing people's attention to this as well. And other other things have happened to kind of draw this science of reading movement to the to the to the attention of more and more teachers of reading especially and all it means is let's attend to what we've already discovered from science it's quite unbelievable how much we know about reading um i think for decades psychologists and other um researchers have thought that reading is really cool and it's the most researched area of the human mind. So again, like I mentioned earlier, there are neuroscientists who look at it, there are psychologists, there are people in speech and language, uh, many different branches of, of medicine have pursued it. And so there is a huge collection of ideas uh, and researched evidence about how the our brain learns to read. And we know it's through, um, at least in terms of, like I said earlier, cracking the code, we have to draw upon the language that this child knows, help them hear the individual sounds and words, connect that to print, put those sounds together in the wor word left to right so that they uh, 
have a strong sound-based decoding skill, get enough practice doing that, tie it to meaning, and then those words will stick and they'll be able to read fluently and reading the words won't be the issue like it was when I was a middle school teacher. It will be then they're going to learn more about the world and expand their comprehension that way. So through uh, podcasts, events, new journals, new nonprofits, lots and lots of activity in social media, um, teachers are becoming aware of how they have been really confused and misled by the mainstream products. And now they're looking into the science and that is exciting, but it can also be overwhelming because there has been a little uh, um, um, indifference to the science in a lot of teacher training programs. And so Teachers are not always well prepared to interpret the science and know what it means. But nevertheless, um, it's exciting to see teachers actually say, oh, I'm going to I'm going to figure out how to say, for instance, in the instance of the three queuing problem, I'm going to move away from that ideology and find practices that are in more in alignment with what science says is how the brain learns to read. Gotcha. So uh, thanks for talking about that. And, and, and so what I'd like to do is kind of, and you talked a little bit about uh, um, founding uh, Reading Simplified. So let's go directly there. I mean, you're the founder of Reading Simplified. And so talk about its purpose and uh, let's go from there. Well, as as I mentioned, I've known for a long time that teachers were confused and misled like I was. And so I I aimed to provide really efficient professional development that would they could pick up on the go as they're in the middle of the school year, even to fill in the the gaps and where the holes were for how they had been um, confused. And so the Reading Simplified Academy is our main service and product from Reading Simplified, where we deliver this ongoing professional training for teachers. It's mostly... Um, we lead with a an eight to 10 hour video training course, which teachers can watch at their own pace. And as they go through this course, they learn just a handful of activities. Like one of ours is called Switch It. They learn in videos and watching teacher-student interaction with that activity, how to do it. Then they go test it out with their student maybe just one to as they're learning. And then they reflect on that in our online discussion board. And that's the cycle of professional learning that we know is really helpful for people in the classroom already and anyone learning something new, really. Um, and then they, they continue that cycle. Then they would do the next activity, which we call read it, learn, watch our videos, get the materials, test it out with a student, now be doing switch it and read it. And again, reflect on it inside our discussion board. So we have reading simplified experts in there and our community that encourage one another and answer questions. So teachers go through this cyclical reflective um, cycle. I said cyclical cycle. I, I guess you guys know what I mean. <laughs> um, and they build up the knowledge of um, our core three-part lesson plan, which is very comprehensive and it aligns with what we know about from how the brain learns to read. Uh, and, and emphasizes decoding in the early stages, but they're always reading and rereading to get the sufficient practice that they need to become automatic. And, and along the way, they also get the materials that they need, so like 
what what people call decodable text so that if they're learning the sound o as long o could be the o in go or boat or show or toe or note they will also read a passage that has those spellings so they get that concept of how o can be multiple spellings and they learn those really quickly so it's the resources the professional training a, a system for teaching anyone and how to do it how to think diagnostically so you meet your your students needs whether it's a small group or one-on-one -on -one. and then along the way they get the coaching that they need because many of us have done like drive-by PD we go to something we get a lot of ideas and then we get back in our classroom on Monday and we don't know how to solve for what what do I do with Javier's issue on this or how do I orchestrate this lesson on Tuesday, there, you know, we're on our own. And that's why a PD can be so, one of the reasons PD can be so exhausting. So we've tried to buffer that by providing that ongoing coaching and community so that uh, teachers can implement the reading simplified system in their unique context and get ongoing support. Very cool. Very cool. So, all right. So I got to ask you, I mean, how do you make, how, how do you make reading instruction fun ineffective mm, the number one way to do it is to help kids see that they're getting better immediately so when they're successful that is motivating nothing breeds um, motivation as much as success Another thing you can do along the way is to be really in tune with what they need, which is why I mentioned earlier that we have a diagnostic framework we're not telling teachers open this book and on Monday do what it says for day one for a five-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old. No, we're saying, what does um, Javier need today? And let's give him the instructional activities at the right level so he is engaged and it's hard enough that he knows he's learning, but not so hard that he's frustrated. And those, those, that's, so those aren't, those aren't about games or about reward, rewards or um, things that you might associate with quote unquote fun, but they can lead to fun because the student is successful. And then thirdly, we also use manipulatives, um, moving letter sound cards to build and manipulate words, writing on a dry erase board, um, erasing the sounds as you say each sound, writing the sounds as you say each sound on the dry erase board. A few simple materials like that that they use um, are remarkably fun for kids of all ages. Even adults and can adult learners that we've worked with that can enjoy just a simple dry erase uh, board and markers. <laughs> And then, of course, we do play games to reinforce the practice, the repetition of, so say we're working on that O sound. We've we've done some word work activities with it. We've read passages that emphasize the O sound, but then we can play a game where we're focused on high frequency words uh, that have the O sound, and they are going to uh, then have to read more of those words, but it's a game element, so they don't feel like they're working. Gotcha. You know, and... And you know, I mean, just as a note, that's uh, that's going to be a challenge is to is to make it something that because uh, you know you don't hear a lot of people going, hey, I I want I'm looking forward to whatever the instruction is that they might be right. Playing. And so it, you know, the challenge is to make it what they want. Well, the part of it is rewarding because you can mm -hmm. suddenly start uh, 
you're starting to read and uh, being able to communicate that way, which is cool. So, so talk a little bit about what you've uh, um, learned in, in helping uh, struggling or dyslexic readers. Well, interestingly, um, well, it's a continuum. Dyslexia is really not um, con- uh, di- dichotomous, like you either have it or you don't. It, uh, necessarily, there are ranges of levels of difficulty. Literally, it just means struggle with reading. And so, and like I mentioned earlier, 65% of Americans are not proficient. There's a lot of folks struggling with reading, but probably only a minority of students actually have such a challenging time accessing the code when they're given proper instruction. And what we know about those kids is that they learn the same way as typically developing kids. They just need a heck of a lot more practice and ideally more expert instruction. And so we use the same activities, the same lesson plans, the same diagnostic thinking to serve kids with dyslexia. And they crack the code um, and may take, whereas a typically developing kid or even a struggling student without profound dyslexia might do it Uh, like in a tutoring context, get up to grade level in 12 hours, a dyslexic student might be reading, um, their sound-based decoding might be strong at 18 hours or 24 hours. And then they might take several more hours of of practice to become fluent. That is kind of the the last frontier for most dyslexics. And in in America and most English-speaking countries, we have real trouble teaching how to crack the code. Reading Simplified is one of a handful of approaches like the targeted reading intervention that streamlines the actual decoding part, being able to attack an unfamiliar word. Um, But nevertheless, you still, a a student with dyslexia will still take quite a while to become fluent for those words to become automatic. Your typical student can see a word that they've attacked or decoded in as few as one to four exposures. And then that word becomes something that they recognize by sight that they can never actually forget unless there's a brain injury. If I flash a word to you that's in your sight vocabulary, you can not not read it. <laughs> you it's, That's just how the brain is. It's um, quite amazing, actually, how fast we process words that we have um what researchers called mapped, what words that have become automatically recognized. So that again is that that's the hardest domain to um, to accelerate dyslex truly dyslexic kids in that that transition from I've decoded this word, the word I it's said I get it, it's s and that's a s and the a i I get it, it's kind of weird. That's a and the d is d I get it. Um, but. I've seen it 10 times, I've seen it 50 times, and I'm still not seeing it in a split second as a unit, as said. I still am decoding it, and that is what makes dyslexic um, instruction more challenging because we just have to pull out all the stops for multiple exposures in multiple contexts, making it fun because it is it is a long road to hoe, long road to hoe there for um kids with a profound dyslexia. But my message to those of you who are either working with kids who are struggling or are have a child your, of your own um, who's struggling is many kids who are struggling is, is because of an instructional casualty. And with uh, evidence-based instruction, they can learn quite quickly. And only a tiny proportion of kids are really going to need hundreds of hours to become fluent. Thanks. It, and this is powerful. And, 
you know, this is a conversation that obviously uh, needs um, needs really spending a lot more time on, uh, um, especially as an individual teacher working with kids who are struggling and uh, need help in their reading. Uh, I got to ask you, I mean, so how does a teacher begin working with Reading Simplified? I mean, what do they do? Well, we love to have people join the Reading Simplified Academy membership. We have two ways to actually pay for that, either monthly and you can leave at any time or annually. And there's a significant discount that way. Once they become a member, then they get into that main course that I was telling you about. So they get access to the private uh online portal and they do that eight to 10 hour course and reflect on it in our online discussion board. And they test out one activity after the other until they've come up with a, the full reading simplified lesson plan, which is the three components of rereading for fluency, word work and guided oral reading. And they've tested it with at least one student and then they start spreading it to maybe a small group of students and beyond. And then all along the way, we're there to offer new resources. Every month we're giving out new fun things for teachers to use, but also uh, I think mainly it's the ongoing professional development, either in the discussion board or in um, um, office hours with me and other reading simplified experts and ongoing professional development with new topics that we're always expanding upon. But uh, the, the, the main take home is, you know, a lot of reading programs, especially in this so-called science of reading movement, a lot of them are asking teachers to literally take on 100 to 200 hours of professional development. We have found that that's not necessary. We can give you a system that works flexibly for a variety of reading levels, and you can get the gist in just eight to 10 hours of video instruction. Awesome. That is very awesome. So, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, um, we have to, uh, when, when we talk about this, is that, uh, um, you know, you know, teachers need, I mean, they only have so much time, I guess is my point. Mm, and, right. you know, one of the things that happens is that, uh, um, I don't know about your experience, but, uh, and having been a, uh, you know, the evil administrator who, uh, um, principal and all that sort of stuff who, uh, um, you try and find time to do different things and stuff like this, but uh, you also have all this other stuff you got to do too. And so, you know, the amount of PD time that you may have is you know, a little bitty time, <laughs> uh, but you're trying to impact a lot of stuff that's going on. I mean, you know, when, what it seems like Reading Simplified is trying to do is is just like its name says, which is to try and make it uh, something they can understand in a short period of time and start using it. Um, any f- final thoughts about that? Uh, and as we're uh, getting ready to close, I got a few more questions, but um, one of the things I'd like you to also do is, uh, um, you know, tell the uh, audience uh, um, where they could uh, connect and uh, learn more. Yeah. Well, even if you don't pursue reading simplified per se, I encourage teachers and administrators to pursue professional development opportunities that are tied to what students are actually doing in the classroom where the teachers get ongoing coaching to in, to apply the the insights from the PD in their actual classrooms with real kids and looking at the data and being diagnostic. Those are some features that we know from research about professional learning that make a difference. And a lot of professional learning is about giving ideas and theories and concepts 
and not then integrating that into the daily practices of the teacher. And so we've, we've gone, you know, 180 degrees the other way with Reading Simplified. I learned this con- these concepts through the work I did at the University of North Carolina with a targeted reading intervention and, you know, wide reading about professional learning. Um, but, and it is hard for administrators to find those kinds of programs, but look for something that's integrated with teachers' real day-to-day work. I think that's a take-home that I would encourage people to to um, remember. And if you head to readingsimplified.com, you have a lot of ways to get more information about how to connect with us, how to jump into the Reading Simplified Academy. Our, our um, gateway drug is an activity we call Switch It. It takes five minutes and kids learn so much from it. And teachers have great ahas because they don't realize this, this, this little kid didn't know this or that kid couldn't do this or they learned. All of those insights come from a, just a fun a five-minute activity. And so you can get that for free, see a videos of it, get the re- the letter sound cards, how to do it. If you go to readingsimplified.com forward slash switch dash it, or you can just Google reading simplified switch it and it will come up. Um, and I'd love for people, if they have any struggling readers in their life to test that activity out and you will be amazed by how much it uncovers and how much the student actually grows from it. And they always, almost always think it's a game, which is a win-win. That is awesome. And, and by the way, I, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. You guys have some freebies that you, you give away uh, just for uh, signing up for, uh, you know, with your email. Anything you want right. to say about that? Yeah, well, that's been part of um, how I've been trying to reach teachers ever since I started reading Simplified in about 2015, 2016. Um, we only have a handful of activities. Switch It is one of them. Another one would be Read It. Another would be Sort It. For each of those activities, we show you the logic behind it. We show videos of how to put it into action. And then we give you the how-to and word lists or example passages, example activity sheets like for Sort It. Those are all there for people who are um, industrious and check out the different activities and what, and so then they can, you know, just get these free things to test out. And many of the people who end up inside the Reading Simplified Academy have actually been doing switch it or sort it for several months, if not years. And they come to get the full, uh, you know, training of the full system. But yeah, we have a lot of, we've done a lot to share the ideas for free so people can test me in this. Excellent. Excellent. They, uh, very cool. So, uh, uh, you know, I got, uh, two more questions to, to ask you, Marnie, and uh, before we go, and this has been fascinating learning about reading simplified and, uh, all that uh, good stuff that's going out there with working on uh, learning how to teach kids how to read, uh, before you go, uh, here's the first question I got for you. It's like this, how do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? <laughs> well, yeah, it certainly happens. And especially building a business. I mean, I have no training in building a business. Uh, it's been a lot of on the go learning, which again is what I'm really recommending for teachers. Um, and some students, you know, and some, of course, teachers right now are faced with so many challenges, but, um, so I have the, I have the freedom of, of, um, teaching teachers all over the world at, you know, kind of at the comfort of my home. So I have some privileges that are really a, a gift, but um, when the going gets tough, either when I'm working on building Reading Simplified or working with a particular student, 
I, I don't wallow too long in doubt or thinking about change because this bug that I have for obsessing about how to disseminate ideas about teaching of reading is really deep within me. I mean, it's in my soul. I cannot get rid of it, whether even if I wanted to. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm always looking to see what we can do to make a difference because the gap is so profound from just what we know is evidence-based and what we're actually doing. It's so easy to make a difference once you have the right information. So I feel called to do that. I don't, I, I have no other way to live. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. I, I love it. The uh, last question for you. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say, thank you? Mm, I've had many great teachers at different, you know, each elementary, middle school, high school. Um, and I think, um, Mrs. Hughes in fifth grade taught me the structure of grammar, um, the parts of speech and gave me a lot of reading practice. And we had some fun too. I, I think it was in her class. I remember going to the library to listen to like Edgar Allan Poe, the telltale heart. And that was so spooky, but I was enraptured by being able to hear you know, a professional narrator. This is showing my age. <laughs> professional narrator uh, uh, tell a story. That was way cool. And um, so from Mrs. Hughes, I have, I, I got some, the foundation of some skills that have helped me ever since got a call, you know, an English degree in college. I write a lot. I, I help other children to improve their writing. And um, there there's that structure that she gave me along with the joy of reading. That was a true gift. That is so awesome. Thanks for sharing. And, and Marnie enjoyed our talk. Thanks so much for sharing reading simplified with us. It's an incredible focus that you have in helping children learn how to read and helping teachers learn how to teach them how to read, which is, a, yeah, I love it. Wishing you the very best in all you do. Thank you so much, Steve. I appreciate what you're doing. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. The opinions expressed on Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.